0: This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. (laughs) you're very welcome back to another edition of the business impact podcast it's a great one to host because we're moving out of january and into february restrictions are loosening up and all around us we're being assailed by all kinds of offers shops are open not that they were closed but they're more full than ever before also you'll see pubs and restaurants people are going into them in a major way safely it's great to see and it's great to see the whole hospitality sector back and what it means for all of us i don't know about you as as listeners but i get a sense that We've been kind of almost just existing for the last two years and a bit of the pandemic, but now things are, there's a bit more discretionary activity going on. Obviously, discretionary income being spent, but there's just a general sense that we're, we're being assailed and enticed by offers all around the place. The shop windows just look a bit more busy. The streets are a bit more crowded. There's just a sense of life coming back as this Omicron variant starts to wind down at least somewhat, although there's obviously still major, major pressures in the hospitals, but definitely the economy starting to grind upward in terms of its pace and its overall level of activity. And today's guest is going to be talking to us a little bit about some of these issues, about attracting shoppers, attracting consumers and attracting buyers and the psychology of the decisions that they make. It's a fascinating area, whether you do your shopping in person bricks and mortar stores or you're more of a digital online e-commerce type of person. We'll be covering all of that in the next half an hour and it's going to be a really interesting podcast. So welcome along and take down the coffee or if you're jogging or walking with us in your earphones, you're very welcome along as well. And that guest is Stephen Rust, who is the Managing Director of Empathy Connects. He describes himself as a market researcher and shopping researcher. I already described myself as a consumer behaviorist, but he's not prepared to go quite that far. He spent many years working in a number of companies, including the Kerry Group, Air, another um, shopping market research company. And he's all about something that's really central to the consumer choice. And that's how consumers feel, think and behave, particularly in this year of 2022. We want to know how they behave, how they feel. Doesn't everyone, right? And today's conversation is going to revolve around some of those issues. So you're very welcome to the program. Stephen Rust, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks so much. And um, looking forward to talking to you for the next half an hour. Uh, you're right. I can't be called a consumer psychologist, but I certainly love understanding how we buy, why we buy and why we don't buy as well. And uh, all things in between.
0: Yes. And uh, let's get some of the housekeeping out of the way. Let's tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, you are a double UCD graduate. So tell, tell us about your, your journey to the, the post you currently hold and how you got so interested in why people shop and the way they do it. 25 years ago, I did my
1: BCom and UCD. And had a wonderful three years there. And then went on and did master's in marketing practice in UCD Smurfit Business School. And yeah, really enjoyed those. Learned an awful lot under some brilliant professors and, and, and uh, lecturers over the time. And then um, from there, started with a company called AC Nielsen, actually, who I suppose in light of the conversation we're having, would we do a lot of work in likes of understanding different markets and categories and how they're performing. From there, joined Diageo. And worked across portfolio brands from Guinness to Smirnoff to Bailey's and so on, and did a lot of their market consumer planning. And then moved to the Kerry Group. And there I headed up their consumer insight and category management teams and, and, and was part of the Irish management team there for a good few years uh, before becoming a consultant and, and joining up with uh, the agency the entity now. So all that time, we've been both kind of working both on the supplier side. And also on the consultancy side and, 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 and I suppose helping businesses develop and grow and understand their consumers better.
0: Um, Stephen, what makes you so fascinated in that particular piece? Because there's such, a, you know, the, the landscape of marketing is such a wide one. You know, there's so many different disciplines and sub-disciplines and you can, you, you can just literally can take you anywhere in terms of sort of in, even intellectually into all sorts of interesting avenues. Uh, why did you go or, or was it just your career took you there? Or is there something you're particularly interested in in the mind of the consumer? It was
1: actually, it kept evolving because I think like any business or brand, it's ultimately down to catering to a consumer need and both being on the supply side and either side to actually have be any way successful as a business. It's really unlocking what do people need and how do we communicate to them to make sure they know it's there and they want to buy it and they want to repeat buy it. Um, And it was a real big need for businesses because We get so busy in the operations and getting things to logistically work, we sometimes forget about the ultimate person, which is the person at the end, uh, the consumer, or the person who's gonna consume or buy our product. And um, I was just fascinated in in how we need to understand that and interpret that correctly and rightly and robustly, and then actually make sure we get those learnings and then bring them back into the business in a simple way for the business to action from. And that kind of, that link between understanding consumer and turn it into a, a, a business offer a proposition, a brand, uh, a new product was was really kind of something that I got more and more into and started really focusing on that, reading up on that and actually doing a lot of work and projects in that area.
0: And this area is fascinating because, you know, you've people like Michael Porter, the, the management guru and yeah. professor, Mike, Michael Porter has always asserted there's only two ways to win market share off your rival. One is to be cheaper than them and beat them on price. And the other way is to differentiate yourself from whatever the existing product is now sometimes he goes into a third one where you can establish a niche area kind of parcel off a little part of the market that has been neglected but taking those first two there's there's always that big debate about what do people what are they moved by is it value or is it something about the the attributes of the product or the service that you're selling and is it because it's authentic or new are handy or shiny or you know it it's something that peers like or family and friends like, you know, all of those things. We don't know the answer to that because if we did, you know, neither of us would be sitting here doing this podcast, okay? <laughs> we would have cracked it, right? So so looking at your kind of work, I mean when you come to look at what a consumer what, what the motivation is or what the influence is, what what sort of things are thrown up just at a basic level when you sit down with a panel or a group of people you know, what are the kind of things that do motivate them? Obviously, we can talk about in what proportion those different things are. But what are the kind of things that after half an hour you would be hearing with a typical shopper or consumer?
1: A lot of times is a typical five W's analysis is done. Who, what, where, when and why and why they want to buy it. Uh, who are they and what why are they living What they want, where and when. And I'll probably give a simple example. Um, We, as the same consumer, what we see as value on a Monday can be very different to what we see as value on a Friday. For example, I might go out for lunchtime on a Monday going, Oh, I really want to have a healthy salad. I'm in Do Good. I had a great go at the run or gym this morning. And what I'm prepared to buy at that moment in time can be completely different to what I see as value on Friday night, had a long week, want to really let loose and, and, and go for it where something else is of more value. Maybe it's going out for a nice dinner, having a few drinks, uh, entertainment, cinema, whatever it is. So our values change literally through the weekday and moment. And then as we understand those values, we can then actually create something that is a good value and understand what, what's going to work at that moment in time. So a lot of that is really looking at it from all angles and really trying to understand the why. Why would someone want to buy something, use something or consume something? And at what moment is that important to them? And what moment is not important to them?
0: Now, obviously, the, the psychologists look at things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and they say, you know, you box off the, the most basic material requirements first, food, shelter, etc and then you move on up through, through the rungs. I mean, when we look at what consumers want to do and how they behave and how they think, you know, is, is the world of a carton of milk very different from a luxury purchase or are the motivations actually similar or, you know, does does the product almost drive the choice and and drive the motivation, do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the more considered purchase if we're going out to buy a car versus a, when you're absolutely on that more automatic habitual, you've built up habits and learnings from years and years of buying milk regularly that are there. So the purchase journey is a lot quicker buying milk and probably a lot more system one thinking left you know, where you're not le- kind of left-hand brain, it's it's on automatic, it's bought. It, it takes a lot to nearly move you off the habit of the milk you pick up in the place you pick it up, where you're less conscious of it and so yeah they're two kind of kind of simple ways of saying two different states unless suddenly you have some point to change like when you see someone has a a new kid for example or a baby or something they suddenly might go oh what milk am I going to use and they go it comes back into their decision thinking and their conscious decision and then they might get back into buying and have it versus the high-end items is probably a lot less frequency a lot more thought into it obviously a lot bigger budget and spend in it and it probably gets a much more conscious perspective. But that's not to, to say it's all functional decision-making. A lot of it can still be emotional. The color, the fit, the engine, the size, and all the branding you see in the car world is, is a brilliant example of that. So it's always a mixture of functional and emotional, and probably system one, habitual, and system two, real considered thoughts when, when buying it and, and really assessing it attentively in terms of making that decision. And they're happening a lot of the times throughout, which is key.
0: And just, just I, I don't want to turn this pod into a tutorial, but I think this part is important. Can you just give us an outline of the, the system one, system two kind of binary, the way our minds kind of go in two different directions? One is more rational than another, but m- maybe you can bring it a lot more than I have there.
1: Yeah, I think I have some great books in Paco um, Underhill and why we buy it. System one is is where we're really thinking on automatic, and it's our kind of reaction state uh, where where we do things that's built up from years and years of experience, for example, going shopping how many products are in a shop, hundreds of thousands uh, at any one time. We can't consciously go through all of them to make our shopping decisions. So a lot of that's on automatic. And then system two kicks in where we say, stop and think about something going, oh, I really need to look at that or get that. And and a lot of the times we use the left-hand brain, the system one. And then at times we obviously need to consciously think about it and recall from there. And it's important to understand both in, in, in that because the environment and what's happening around us can impact a lot of what we do um, and what we what decisions we make in, in anything from uh, walking down the street to to going to the shops or, or anything in between.
0: Now, Stephen, one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on, you know, you're the absolutely perfect person to talk about what's the sort of zeitgeist at the moment, which is we've got inflation running at over 5% year on year. We're obviously all coming out and dusting ourselves off after what has been an extraordinary two years and a bit of this pandemic there's supply chain snarl ups all over the world and in ireland you know just getting goods sometimes can be difficult never mind trying to select them so you're you're if you want to call it that and I, I hope that's that's the way you see it too it's going through an interesting period because of these things i'm talking about so do you, do you think that, that the traditional rules of why people buy things are going to undergo a little bit of an adjustment because of some of these pressures like we talk about inflation in particular and prices or do you sort of think you know there are some immutable laws that just stay there regardless? I mean, how do you view just what's going on right now, where people are finding things a little bit more expensive, availability is a little bit reduced, or you you get what you want but you wait a lot longer to get them? I mean, does that kind of affect the the kind of the laws almost that you you people like yourself would would sort of look at it? Are they in a bit of flux at the moment?
1: It's been really interesting to 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 do research in the markets over the last two or three years, because there's been such flux in that uh, likes of all the behaviours we kind of nearly relearned in COVID, you know, baking bread um, and all those things The kind of uh, more time for cooking and scratch cooking and all those those habits that came in, which have actually really changed like what we're buying, what's important to us, uh, you know, what foods we're getting. And I think we're going into a change now as things open up again, where we'll probably need convenience again. And we'll probably need and things that will help us get through our day where we're going to be out and about more, more time constrained not time to be at home cooking and, and preparing stuff we're going to be on the go again so sort of like products like coffee on the go and stuff so i think yeah that's going to be really interesting what happens and with that inflationary pressure uh coming on it'll be interesting to see how we, we trade off as consumers i know myself even saying i still probably have a set budget to spend a week whether i stick to it or not is another thing Um, but I might start to go, God, you know, for dinner tonight, I usually have products that come to five or six euros. I'm now seeing that I'm getting less for those five or six euros. Do I change products? Do I trade down in a certain area? But I'm not giving up certain products and I still want my glass of wine on a Friday night or, or whatever that is. So there's going to be trade ups and trade downs made naturally as that happens. So all those dynamics could be interesting in our decisions and everyday decisions across the board, right from big purchase items down to to our daily products, which, yeah, it's going to evolve very quickly, I think.
0: And if you look at the, you talk about trade-offs there, which is really interesting. So a a trade-off on one side is price, which you've mentioned, and then there's what you might call brand on the other side, which is, you know, if I turn out a a Stephen Rust iPhone tomorrow with all the attributes of an iPhone by Apple, you know, with all due respect to you or me, it's not going to sell, Right. So so that added a bit the intangible the brand power, yeah, it's obviously very important when everyone has lots of money in their pockets, but does that kind of decrease a little bit, and we we shift over more to the price side in an inflationary climate so does that does that mean that the more plain vanilla but economical product sort of comes up the list, and it sounds like you're saying that it does based on even your own personal example
1: yeah and i I think it's going to be very dependent on the category, the brand, and the moment. So those three things are the factors that we're seeing. And certainly in certain products, we go, okay, I'm willing to trade down. I'm not going to be loyal to that higher priced item or, or, or brand. On other occasions, go just, no, that's a brand I'm really sticking with. I'll sacrifice other things. I'll go with no socks, but I'm not losing that kind of kind of piece. And then the moment's going, yeah, absolutely. It's, there'll be a moment where you say, Am I willing to, to to move that? So those three factors are going to work a lot in in in, in naturally in the market as as inflationary pressures and availability pressures are, are there currently, and um, as demand kind of changes. And so I think that's going to be very dependent on the category and also the the, the person uh, in terms of the financial constraints uh, that they're under. So I think there are two big factors that are going to come into it. Um, where we we'll see might happen, a trade down in certain product groups and in other product groups, we might see a trade up. And I'll just give you a very simple example, sausages. Sometimes we see that uh, the higher end items and brands do well in sausages when inflationary and other factors happen or, or, or recession, because people might trade down from other higher price product categories, or they might get a better brands. So you could be in that middle. There's going to be a lot of moving areas where you, your, your, your products um, and brands could be affected.
0: Now, you, you've you obviously spent your life analysing shopper behaviour, and, and even that word is interesting, shopper, what is a shopper in 2022, is, is, is open to some debate what exactly that, that person is. You know, you obviously people look, there's studies done of looking at shoppers when they physically walk into a store, where they go first, you know, how they kind of spend their time in the store, what areas they go, how long they browse, etc., are those things still relevant, the actual behavior of a shopper in a bricks and mortar store, or are you looking more digitally as as, as their behavior evolves into the commerce space? So so in your job and what you look at when you do these shopping research exercises, can you just give our listeners some idea of of, of when we say shopper, what, what we kind of mean in the work you kind of do?
1: obviously online shopping has grown as a big part of it it's not that the bricks and mortar stores will suddenly disappear they'll absolutely evolve and they're still a big part of it and actually we've seen that the dynamic might change and i'm probably overgeneralizing because it will depend on each product channel and whether it's a big supermarket or a small store or whatever but the dynamic might change where stores are going to be used more for the experience to try to to kick the tires to feel a product and then online can a lot of times be used for the the ordering of it and, and reviewing it and probably more the functional decisions are going, how much will that cost and where it is. So uh, we, I, think, I think to your question about, um, will that still be important? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think it's it's important to understand how how what people need when they're shopping in store and when they're shopping online there'll be needs for all those those times that that need to be catered to and, and important to understand what those are and, and and improve the experience across the board as well for for people
0: yeah and you the, the motto of your company is is we look at how consumers feel think and behave and and that word feel is a, it's a brave enough one to put in there because you know people will say oh what, what do you mean you, you, you could find out how i feel etc but it sounds like the underlying philosophy here is is emotion is very important. You mentioned at the start of our conversation that what day of the week it is is a key influencer, even the time of the day. So, how how do you go about finding out sort of you know checking the sentiment or ch- checking the temperature of the modern twenty twenty two consumer? Like, well, what what way do you go about finding out what is the the, the kind of emotional touch points at the moment or or Does it differ between young, old, male, female, urban, rural, you know, it's just we're all so different. We're such a diverse population. We're becoming even more diverse. How do you go about kind of saying, OK, well, that's where people are at at the moment? Is it sort of um, statistical information based on lifestyles or is it you get the psychologists in? How how do you go about sort of um, plotting that?
1: A big part is actually, you know, understanding the big numbers, you know, what's the overall perceptions and, and opinions and views of people which is simple understanding questionnaires and understanding surveys that will go out to to mass population but then also um talking to them qualitatively and engaging and bringing them in and seeing how people feel and talk in their way and put things into their words and how they get excited or not excited about different products different categories different different things that are happening out there in current climate and um, and that's really where you bring that and you bring that understanding how people think in terms of the big surveys, how they behave, understanding what's been bought and what isn't been bought and why, and then how they feel absolutely in terms of gauging them qualitatively and and understand that. And we use, and a lot of research companies out there will use multi-methods to understand those, but bringing those three learnings together is important because if we were to just go by, give me the cheapest product, everything would be just one brand, no brands, just a name, and that would be it. But we know from everything we experience in life that there's there's uh, different brands cater to different needs and different people, and that's actually where you have to unlock that learning just to understand where it is, and and that the businesses and brands can grow from from understanding that from that kind of three dimensional way.
0: And Stephen, we we all talk about this. It's a cliche, but it's still important, which is the customer journey. And some people call it the sales funnel. There's all sorts of different um, phrases to. I suppose itemize out that, that, that step-by-step journey (laughs) that consumers go on. And there's a big debate about, you know, how you kind of reach them at a certain point. And obviously the world I've come from of media is important, advertising, you know, that's part of it. There's also direct sales. There's the the shop assistant at the counter, you know, there's all these different touch points where you can, you can actually talk, feel, um, you know, just, just get a sense of the consumer generally. I mean, what 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 do you think is 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 that changing so much radically now because we're doing so many things at a distance over broadband essentially? How important is it to 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 kind of you know reach out to the consumer consistently throughout that journey that I'm talking about?
1: I suppose the one fundamental, I suppose, without getting too theoretical about it, in terms of the um, kind of the three dimensions of what we need to do: are people aware of us of our office or our brand? Would they consider buying us? And then. Will they buy us at the moment of choice? And those three kind of stages, they're still probably even more permanent now, even though we're probably doing a mix of online and offline and new worlds of digital and what we do there. That kind of journey from being aware to consider to actually buying is, is there. And depending on the, the products we're talking about and the brand we're talking about, that can be long-term or short-term or circular, That aware, consider, buy, rebuy. So that journey is very much important, probably even more important, but... How we go about doing it now and using as you you know you just have the mix of media between different things between television, in store radios, digital. Uh, that's probably changing, and adapting as as we use new new tools and we get used to new ways of, of working. Especially probably been fast tracked because of COVID as well. That journey is key and it's important to understand where as a business or a brand where you are in that journey and and who is aware of you and who is considering you and who isn't and why.
0: I mean, you see extraordinary things going on at the moment. Obviously, companies don't know they don't know when consumers' tastes are going to change. Like nobody sends you an email saying, "Hello, we're consumers. We're now changing to this. We used to like this." So you're you're trying to kind of stay two steps ahead. And and I see all over Dublin at the moment. Even when I'm walking around, McDonald's putting their Mac plant advertising all over on outdoor platforms you know a very big change for that company and and you go into any store and i know you do a lot of stuff on shoppers and the retail side of things there they, you know you see a lot more vegan um, goods on the shelves and what intrigues me about that is like obviously most people are not vegan at this stage we know that from surveys but there is a you know there's a there's an audience there's a constituency there there's a consumer group there so how, how do companies go about kind of gauging that if they're leading the choice, are they responding or who goes first? You know, you you don't want to have a product there that's kind of too ahead of its time, that they're just, it's not meeting an audience, but you equally don't want to be too far back where the consumer is too far ahead of you. Is, Is that a big part of your work where you're trying to stay in lockstep with the consumer that, you know, you're reflecting what their tastes are, but you're not going too far ahead of them or falling behind either?
1: Yeah, understanding that. When is the right time and what is the right way that our product can lean into it? Like so McDonald's and McPlant, I think I saw it, Starbucks in the US now are leading out with their oat-based milk uh, on there as their leading communication message. Yeah, the needs have jumped. And I know we've talked about flexitarians has gone bigger in terms of there's less people being purists, just vegan uh, as such. But a lot of people who are trying to mix up their lifestyle and have a mix of other products and experiences. And brands are constantly going, yeah, do we need to move into this? Are we going to be isolated or not be relevant to a lot of people in in years to come? And that's a big part of what we do is is say, yeah, actually, well, let's test how your brand could work in a market like that. What can you do different uh, for that? Or are you exclusively a brand that's going to cater to that need? And how does that come about? So ideas, concepts, communication messages. And we, we really test them with consumers and say, tell us what you like or tell us what you don't like and understand both ends of it. And that really helps and go, is is there a space for a brand in, 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 in to go into that as a perfect example? And then how best to do that and communicate that to make sure it works. Um, and I think that's really important because companies there's a big graveyard of, of new product ideas that were maybe before their time or just didn't work and didn't hit a need. And it's important to really understand what does the consumer need? How are we going to stand out as different and really test and learn and put lots of ideas in front of consumers. Get their feedback and listen to them really attentively, and then form what is the right solution. And I think it's it's something that and a lot of companies are are doing more in this space. We find because they know it's 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 expensive to uh, put out products that don't work.
0: Well, obviously, we're talking a little bit in this podcast about what to do right and what's the correct thing to do. It sounds like when you talk about messages, there having a fuzzy message, having a product that isn't neither fish nor fowl. You know, it's sort of it's neither good value or differentiated. It's kind of just kind of not either of those just sitting there. Is that the biggest mistake you notice by companies that you work with and the graveyard, as you mentioned, of, of bad products that were introduced to earlier didn't resonate? Is it is it just messes that don't kind of cut through? They're They're, they're not quite sharp enough? in the messaging about the product is that is that the one thing you'd say on this podcast not to do that's kind of the 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 cardinal sin from where you sit
1: absolutely i know having a a razor sharp position and point of view is actually fundamental and i think the hard facts is we we absorb now it's nearly up to i think it's like something like a thousand messages a day just walking around just just driving around as consumers so if you try to be all things and, and the message is blurry and not sharp you won't resonate with them and it's, it's just last. So it has to really be sharp relevant to the product, relevant to the consumer. And it's it takes a lot of time and refining to get that. But um, it's it's fundamental. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. It literally just falls by the wayside.
0: And one final thing I wanted to ask you about is is our uniqueness as a, as a race, if, if we are unique. That's who you're studying. I'm sure you've done international work as well. But in terms of Irish consumers, can you paint me a picture? You know, what, what are we like as Irish? What, what do Irish consumers kind of in their own idiosyncratic way look for or are we different from others or is there particular little things you've noticed where you sort of say well that that's a very Irish thing or that resonates a lot in Ireland that less so you know and I know there's a whole range of product categories and maybe there's one or two that you kind of always stood out to you over the years you've piled up this research and and looked through it probably two factors that really stand out about
1: us as Irish versus other other markets one is the family circle Out of any of the nations we've we've, we've looked at, the Irish and their family circle is is a huge piece and very important to the Irish consumer and Irish person. And the other thing is the demand for a kind of less processed, more real, more natural, whether it be food or drink or or in in a lot of other products and, and services is something that the Irish person wants and also kind of... Is their being is what they stand for, and, and they're they're two great traits, and, and probably known around the world. It to some degree versus other countries that might be more value driven or or more kind of functional benefit driven uh, that we see from some of the Asian markets and stuff like that. So it's it's two great traits of of the
0: Irish person. Family is still there. That's fairly interesting. Uh, probably not a surprise, but nevertheless, you thought it might have frayed over the years, but it sounds like you're saying it is it, critical, and hopefully, companies will hear that message because you do see a lot of products that don't really kind of resonate in those two things you mentioned it's going to be a fascinating year we're going to end up paying a lot more than we used to for a lot of products but that means we'll be more discriminating and you've heard how the marketeers are uh, trying to sort of see and it's a bit of a shadow box between the two sides but i think Stephen, as a guest you've given us good insight so thank you very much for joining us on business impact
1: thanks so much great to meet you
0: Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Kors-Cadden, Ed Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver. We hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact.